Good morning. If you're new here, my name is Mo. Uh, so glad that you are here. I serve as one of the pastors at City Light Church, and we are in our second week of our series called Everyone. Last week, Pastor Ricky came in and he delivered a message on everyone serves, meaning everyone in this family plays a role with their time and their talents and their gifts that they bring. And so this week, we're going to be, this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter uh, 6. And so if you have a Bible, please open it up uh, to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 19 through 24. So the reason why we started the year with this is that, man, we've been praying to say, okay, God, what would you do with our church? Like, what would you have us lead our church in? What are some things that you want to work in the hearts of our church? And, and the thing that just kept coming to mind is everyone. Everyone invested, everyone committed 100% participation as a mind shift for our entire family here. You know, we, we often say it, right? Like, this is not an organization to affiliate with, but a, a family to belong to. And, and what we're saying is, man, what would it look like to be a healthy family? Like, what's, what makes a family healthy? And, and basically what we saw is that everyone engaged and invested and involved is what brings about health in a family. And so that's the call. That's, that's our prayer as we preach through this series. But then even throughout the rest of the year is that we, as we pray and seek the Lord as a family, is like, what does it look like for us all to engage, invest fully into what Jesus is doing, specifically in the areas of serving, giving, and going on mission and so today, we're going to talk about the most awkward of those three, and that's giving, right? Like, that's usually the harder one to talk about, uh, but we're going to talk about it, right? So one of the, the most pervasive challenges that uh, I think of the church is probably in this category. Now, oftentimes, though, it's said that the challenge to the church today is coming from the outside of the church, Right? Like when we look at it, a lot of times we're like, okay, well, the different ideologies, the different religious faiths, or, or lo- the loss of religious freedom, those are going to be the challenges of the church. And, and while those things are definitely challenges for the church in one capacity or another, I would say one of the primary dangers, the danger of the church doesn't come from the outside, but inside. It comes from the heart of the church, the heart of us. And so in this morning's text, Jesus proclaims that you can't have it all. That you can't have both your treasures stored here on earth, but then also say that you have them stored in heaven too. That you can't have both storing up wealth for yourself here and say that you have your eyes fixed on the Lord. He says it's impossible to both love him and love your money at the same time. That it's impossible to find your security in Christ while at the same time holding on to some sort of security in your wealth. Jesus is saying, unless we are willing to wholeheartedly give our entire lives over to him, we can't say that we serve him. Jesus is calling his disciples to not seek to have it all, but instead invest it all. That's what we're looking at this morning. So will you read with me, um, or look at it with me, uh, verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus first shows us your heart is is where you invest. Your heart is where you invest. And so what we're seeing, we're picking up actually in the midstream of a sermon that Jesus gives. It's the longest recorded sermon on record of Jesus, and he's giving it to his disciples. They come up on the mountain with him. He's delivering it to them. And basically what he's giving them is a broad overview of what this newfound faith in Christianity in Jesus is about. 
right? And so in his first section, the first thing he starts right out is called the Beatitudes. And he's telling him, hey, this is who you are. As my kingdom people, this is who you are. And then he gives them the mission to say, hey, you're going to be salt and light to the world. And then he goes on to say, hey, this is how Christians relate to God's law. And then he continues. Like it's a, it, he covers an expansive place between chapter 5 and chapter 7 of the book of Matthew. And he gives them how to view moral issues, how to review religious activity like prayer and fasting and those kinds of things. But then at this point here in chapter 6, this is where the rubber meets the road for them. This is where the rubber meets the road for us. He attacks, at, goes right at the heart of who we are in some ways. And so he, uh, he goes after our treasure, our money, our livelihood. So in Jesus' day, it wasn't common actually for people to have more than it took to actually survive the day. So, so when you're looking at this, when he's talking to them, that's kind of the typical thing. But when they did get more than it took to survive, what they typically did so that it wouldn't get taken away by taxation uh, from the Roman government or, or, or stolen from them, they'd invested in uh, goods because they didn't have like Roth IRAs or savings accounts. So they would buy like clothing or, or metals so that those things can't be easily taken away but still can be liquidated in order to be used for finances. And so that's what they did with, with their extra, so to speak. Now, we can't really relate to that, right? We don't really have that problem. We have banks and Roth IRAs and financial uh, whatevers uh, that we can invest our money in. So we, we have a difficult time relating to them. But think about this, though. Think about this. We live in a culture where essentially we're all affluent to some extent, Right? Like, we live in a culture of affluence. I mean, and I was explaining this to somebody the other day that we all essentially kind of live as royalty. Now, I can see some of your faces are like, wait a minute, no, I don't think so. You're crazy, right? Like, like you might think I'm crazy, but just, just bear with me for one second. We no longer wash our own dishes, right? Like, for the most part, as long as it's working, we have a mechanical slave that does our dishes for us. We don't wash them for us, right? The average American eats out four to five times a week. Now, some of us might eat out more than others and some of us less than others, but the average is four to five times a week. That means we as people don't prepare our own meals for a third of our meals in a week. Somebody else does it for us. Also, like royalty, we rarely have to go somewhere to be entertained by our court jester, right? Like Netflix, Hulu, YouTube. Facebook, our entertainment, right? Like, we don't have to go anywhere. In fact, it's so crazy that we could go sit in a seat 35,000 feet in the air and still be entertained by our court jester, Netflix, Hulu, and Facebook, right? Like, you can, you can do it all from the seat in the air. It's, it's a crazy thing. Now, now I, I know that some of you can look out, some of us can look out and say, yes, but this person's more wealthy than me. This person has far more than I, than I have, but come on, let's be honest, 35% of the world's population doesn't have clean drinking water. And when you woke up this morning and hopefully brushed your teeth, you turned on the water without a problem, right? Without even a thought to it. You see, we are affluent people. And with all of this wealth, with all of this prosperity, I think we as Christians try to have our best life now in having our feet in both worlds, what I'm saying is we work really hard to maintain this life of heaven on earth, financially speaking, and then slap a Jesus bumper sticker on it. And then we do that only when it's convenient and makes this life taste a little bit better, right? In verse 19 and 20, Jesus is telling us that when we invest in earthly things, that investment will eventually go away. 
And not only that, that, that you can't really take it with you, right? Like you don't see U-Hauls in, back of, in the back of hearse, right? Like they don't follow them along in, in, in that. And you can't put it in the coffin because that would be a little crazy, right? Like you can't put your money in there. And so you can't take it with you. Eventually, it's gone and you're gone. Now, while we have all of these investments, we do have opportunity. Unlike 2,000 years ago, we can put them in savings account. We can save up for college, which are not bad things to invest in. However, the only investment that is eternal, that will not go away, that will not uh, perish, is the everlasting, eternal kingdom of God being built through Jesus. It will not perish. It can't be lost if the market has a downturn. It can't be lost if you die. It can't be lost if, if there's an economic recession. It is guaranteed with a greater dividend with anything that you could ever invest in for all of eternity. It has no expiration date. And catch this, family. This is City Light family conversation right here. 20% of us, give or take, invest in what this family's doing in and through Jesus. Right, like what Jesus is doing in and through this family, 20% of us invest financially on a monthly basis in that. And guess what? I'm praising God for that, by the way. I'm praising Jesus that we have individuals who said, man, I'm all in. I'm invested in what Jesus is doing here, so thank you for that. Thank you for investing in the 150 people that have been baptized in just two years as a church. Thank you for investing in the over 300 college students that are meeting Jesus and investing in gospel-centered community. Thank you for investing in the refugees and the high schoolers from our neighborhood who get to come to a safe place and hear about their glorious Savior, Jesus. Thank you. Praise Jesus for that, that he is doing incredible work. However, what would it look like if that 20% went to 100% participation? Like, what could Jesus do? Like, dream with me. What could Jesus do? And I'm not talking dollar signs right here. What I'm talking about is a heart investment in what God is doing. Our, our text tells us where our treasure is, guess what? Your heart is nearby. So that means that 20% of our congregation has a heart-level investment in how God is building his kingdom here in Lincoln. And just to clarify, this isn't a small group of people with a lot of money that are investing. No, this is normal people in our family sacrificially sacrificing what they've been given by God's grace because of God's grace. It's in response to his grace. So regardless of how little or big amount of people that are investing in this point, God has done some tremendous things, amen? He's done some beautiful things in and through our church. But would you dream with me? Would you dream with me and see what would it look like if God's people, his family, moved toward health and said 100% of us, went from 20% to 100% of us invested in kingdom advancement here in Lincoln? Like, catch this. The way this all started... And the way that it will continue to move isn't by big donors and individuals giving into this pot, but it's by a family committing themselves to the mission of God moving forward. It's a family of people who prayerfully consider where uh, they are investing their finances that they've been given. It's a family of people that have, been, that have bought into the reality that Jesus wants to multiply disciples and churches. It's a family of people that have a desire to invest not in what they can store up here on earth, but who they can take with them into eternity. That's what God is calling us to. That's what a healthy, Jesus-loving family looks like. And, and that's what, I mean, even just earthly speaking, that's what a healthy family looks like anyway. 
right? Like little Misha, my daughter, she's three years old, and she can't do as much as Evangeline, my daughter, who is seven, or me for that matter. Like she doesn't have that much to offer other than comedy relief because she's kind of a cartoon character in our house. But nonetheless, she brings something to the table, and if she doesn't, could we survive? Sure. We would survive. No question about it. We'd make it through without it. However, because she plays her role and her part in the family, we're all blessed for it. And not only are we, but so is she. She is blessed for it, and as she matures and grows, she'll be able to invest more, and we'll see her do more in the family. Look, look with me real quick, right back at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So everybody look up at me and hear this. This is not necessarily a giving sermon, okay? No, no, it's a sermon about our hearts. That's what it's referring to. When our hearts are rightly around, aligned with Jesus, giving is a given. It's just a reality. You see, Jesus knew that giving or the lack thereof would be a symptom of a deeper reality of our hearts not being with him. So, so Austin and I, Ricky, we could give a whole sermon series on how to handle your money and how to give properly and all these things. We could, we could guilt you into doing that, but at the end of the day, we believe what Jesus says in our text, and so we can only point you to one thing. And that one thing is, where and who did God invest? Well, that, who did he invest? He invested Jesus. And where did he invest? You and me. That was his primary investment. Do you see it? Like it, Jesus explains this investment in John three sixteen. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So God loved and therefore he gave. He invested. And the return on his investment, the ROI, was that you and me get an eternal relationship with the loving God of the universe. That's the return. Jesus came and died and paid our sin debt. He invested his life in exchange for ours. That's what happened. And the return on the investment is that you and me get to reap the benefit. His giving wasn't out of obligation or to to make the world continue to go around. No, his investment was completely and utterly out of the heart of love. So City Light, when you look at your finances, when you look at your regular monthly finances, does it reflect an affection for Jesus or an affection for yourself? Does it reflect a love for Jesus and what he wants in the world or a love for yourself and what you want? That's what the text is calling us to do. It's calling us to look at our bank account, look at the ledger, and see where our heart is. Uh, Brother Bob Walls has great one-liners, and he gave me this one, so I'm going to give it back. And he says, your finances is your heart's roommate. So where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is revealing something very significant to us, right? Like he's, he's showing us first that our finances show exactly where our heart is. But it also shows what we're pursuing as well. Look at verse 22 through 23. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Jesus now shows us where you invest impacts the rest of your life. Where you invest impacts the rest of your life. So in Jesus' day, it was said that the eye was the window to the soul, okay? So basically what it's saying is that that how you perceive or, or how you're informed through your eye impacts the rest of your life, which makes sense, right? Like what you experience and what you've seen and, and how you view the world dictates how you respond to it and how you pursue, right? Like that makes perfect sense. So if, 
your view is heavenward, well, then you will pursue heavenly things. And if you're if earthly, then, well, you'll pursue earthly endeavors. And in this case, in particular, he's referring to how we view finances and possessions. That's what he's talking about. And Jesus doesn't give us a middle ground with it either. See, he, he, talks about, he uses the word here, healthy, which is the word generous, and says either you're going to be healthy, generous, or you're going to be, what the, he uses the word bad here, or evil is the Greek word there. Either healthy or bad, generous or evil. And so what he's saying is, if you're seeing clearly, if you're focusing on heavenward things, well, then, then, then you will be invested in those things, and you will pursue those things, and will have ramifications on every single aspect of your life. See, when a person financially invests, they are more likely to be more committed and more invested in that thing, right? Like, it's just simple. That's, that's just humanity. Like, think about it. If you paid 100 bucks for, say, a concert ticket or some sort of event— or I gave you a ticket to that event, which one are you going to make sure you get to, right? Like, this is going to fit in my schedule. Well, the one that you paid 100 bucks for, not the one that you gave free. That, that's just, our human nature revolves around that. Whatever we uh, either sacrifice for or give a substantial financial investment into, that's what we're more likely to commit to, put it on our credit calendar, engage in, promote, invest in continually, Right? And so Jesus is pointing that out in verse 22. If we are investing in the things of heaven, it will affect the rest of our life. And how we run our company, it's going to affect that. How we treat our neighbor is going to affect that. How we treat our spouses and our families, it's going to affect that. And in verse 23, he says, it's the same thing in reverse. Meaning if we're not investing in heavenward things, but instead are investing in earthly things, it will also affect every aspect of our life. So catch this. He calls that evil. He calls it evil to not have the heart of God in generosity, but instead go the other direction and invest in yourself and earthly possessions. He says the mindset is evil, and that evil would infect all of our lives. And so he's not calling us simply to do generosity, but to, to embody God's character in us and function out of, in light of that and pursue generosity that way. So the most generous person I know, and I know because I know her very intimately, is my wife, Colleen. She's extremely generous. Like, like every time I turn around, she's giving something, some sort of possession away or our money away to somebody else. Like, I don't quite fully understand. I'm trying to because she's more like Jesus than me, apparently. But, but I remember just a handful of years back what happened. So we had Dish Network. So, like, ESPN was on TV. It was great, right? So we had that, and we signed up for one of those two-year contracts. You know how that works where, like, they give it to you for, like, $20 a month, and then they up it to 60 in the second year, and you're like, okay, I just need to make it out that second year. We'll be okay, right? Like, that's, that's kind of the hope in that. So I'm waiting patiently for two years to be up, and that day finally came. And I'm excited to cancel and go exclusively Netflix, cut the cord, I'm done, right? And so I, I'm excited. I'm like, okay, 60 bucks a month, going to have a little bit of margin in our finances now. That's going to be really good. And so I pick up the phone, and I call Dish Network, and I'm like, hey, I'm going to cancel. And they were like, no, you're not. And I was like, okay, yes, I am. And they were like, no, we'll give you uh, another deal, two-year contract, 20 bucks a month. You're going to take that? And I was like, nope, I'm going to stand my ground. And so I did. I stood my ground. I said, no, I'm going to cancel. I, I, I turned them down and said, no ESPN for me. And I was really excited. And, and then I put the phone down on the table. And as soon as I did that, my wife steps in and says, oh, now we can give to those East Asian missionaries that sent us a letter a couple days ago. And I'm like, I just had it. It was in my hand. I just had it. As soon as it came in my pocket, it was right back out the door into the kingdom of God. Like, that's how our finances work. Like, 
If you look at our marriage for the last nine and a half years, you will see that our finances are marked by her heavenward heart. And, and, and what you'll see is that every time we got a pay bump, guess what? It goes to our local church. Part of that goes to our local church. Every time we call City Light Church into a new thing saying, hey, we want to invest in another church plan. We want to invest in this thing. She makes sure that we're participating fully. She is faithful in that. And the same is true. If, the same is true not just in finances but also with people. Like if you're a friend of, of my wife, Colleen, you know how generous she is. She's very, very thoughtful. And not only that, she's doing that with our family too. She is working to shepherd our kids to have generosity, the mind and heart of God, to be in their hearts. I noticed that over the last few weeks, what she's done is that if one of them, which it's always one of them, isn't sharing their toys, well, then she's like, is that generous? Because the expectation is generosity. That's who we are. We're generous because Christ has saved us. He's been generous toward us. And when they are generous, she calls out greatness and says, hey, you're generous like Jesus right now. Good job, Uriah. Thank you for sharing your room with your sisters, even though they kicked you out of theirs. Like he's, She's trying to usher them into this thing and saying, hey, we're going to be like Jesus as a family. And that is marked by generosity, and it spreads throughout every aspect of our life. And so Jesus is pointing to us to have a better way to look at our finances. A lens of God's generosity toward us will produce in us a heart of generosity. See, God's generosity toward us, it changes us. Not just giving us a reality, and don't get me wrong, this is a gracious, beautiful reality that we get to be with Jesus for all of eternity, but he also changes us here and now. He changes our our hearts that we see God's grace and his mercy and his generosity, and therefore we respond to that by taking on the character of Jesus and being generous and gracious and loving in the same way. You see, this this is what God's kingdom people look like. This is what Christ's followers look like, is that we start to become just like him because he was so generous, we're generous. See, we're not only giving sacrificially toward God's kingdom, but he's giving back into our hearts a cultivation of his own heart. And so our investment affects every single aspect of our life, how we invest. But also how, how we conduct ourselves in our life ought to also be reminiscent or reflectant or marked by this Jesus who gave it all for us, right? And so look with me at the last verse, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So Jesus leaves us with, there can only be one master in this life. There can only be one master in this life. So so to track with me, what Jesus has done so far is he's walked us through the human life, basically, right? Like he starts out in the heart. And then he goes to the mind, and then he goes to the body, or what we, uh, like our action, our behavior, so to speak, how we conduct ourselves. And this is a process whether we're pursuing God or not, right? Like this is just a common human experience that we battle with. Remember, he's, he's speaking to his disciples in this moment. So, so it's not just, just anybody that he's talking to. He's talking to the guys that are committed to him and following him, other than one of them. We know what he did. But like m- mostly they're in with him, and, but he knows the allure of the earthly pursuit, right? He knows that there's an allure in everyday life that's causing us to fix our eyes off of Jesus and onto the world. So, so tell me if this has ever happened to you before. A friend of you introduced you to this new product, or you saw it on TV or, or saw it on the internet, 
And before you know it, you're like kind of thinking about it a lot, right? And then a week goes by. This thing cannot get out of your head. All free headspace is going toward this thing. It's like a one wheel or whatever it might be. And before you know it, your interest starts growing, right? So I don't know if it's a, a one-wheel or interest-bearing savings account or a, a bag of socks. I don't know. I don't know why people would like socks. But like, it, whatever it is, you're excited about that thing. It doesn't matter what the value is of that thing because all of a sudden it started to take up residence in your heart. And so what you do is you pull out your phone, you Google it, right? You search it, you look up the reviews, you look at a YouTube video to see how they fit on your foot or whatever, and then before you know it, it's in your Amazon cart sitting there just waiting for you to pull the trigger and hit buy now, right? Like, has this, is this me when I buy stuff? Is that how that works? Okay, cool. Anyway, the truth is though, at this point, you've given your heart over to that possession. You gave your life to this inanimate object without even knowing you did it. It all started just from a notice of something, and then it grew, and it festered, and you started to think about it and focus on it, and then you started to react on it. And it all began when you started to think that if I have this thing, I'm going to be just a little bit more happy. Life will be just a little bit more joyful when I get this thing. And guess what? When it comes in the mail, you open it up, you look at it, it wears off. It might have said, oh, that was really cool when I got it, but it wasn't as cool as you thought it was going to be. It wasn't as satisfying as you thought it would be. And as time goes on, the satisfaction wears off. The new car is no longer new. The video game, the, the, the new phone that you have, all of a sudden they're old and not new anymore. And eventually it loses its value. But for a moment, you're enslaved by it. Am I the only one that experiences this? I feel like I'm the only one in the room that's ever had that happen to them. Thank you, brother, in the back. I saw you. Uh, An example of this, though, think about the average American. The average American throws away 80 pounds of clothing every year. 80 pounds. And ain't none of y'all walking around naked, okay? Like, we got clothes. We don't have that issue. And and, and, and so basically, the new jeans that you thought was going to be great, the new kicks or the socks or the the shirt or whatever it was, thrown away. 80 pounds of that stuff that you thought was going to make you look hot, you put away, right? Like, that's a reality every single year. And some of y'all are like, man, clothes are a necessity. Don't give me a hard time about my clothes. Okay, cool. That's fine. Maybe I'll give you that. But what about electronics? We throw away on average 44 pounds of electronics every single year. Just saying. Like we are a distracted people. We like to buy things. We like to consume things. And Christ is saying, man, these things will suck the life out of you. They will take your attention away from me. They will take your affections away from me. And he's warning us, he's warning the disciples that there can only be one master. The language in the beginning of this verse here, in verse 24, it says, no one can serve two masters. It isn't simply a service here. Like, it's not talking about a service worker the way we would think about it. The word serve there is actually the word serve as a slave. Now, that makes us uncomfortable, right? Like, I'm a black man in America. It should make me uncomfortable to talk about slavery, right? Like, like, it, like it's, it's talking about being enslaved. And the first thing that comes to mind is, like, American colonization and chattel slavery. Like, that's, those are the things that come to mind because it makes us uncomfortable to talk like that. And I've heard pastors and speakers try to explain this away and say, well, this is a bond servant. You know, a person who owes some money, so they're working off to pay debt. The problem with that, there's another term in the Bible for that. This is the word slave which means you are owned by, possessed by someone or something. 
And it's used throughout the Bible, actually. Uh, Paul, John, Jude, James, all refer to themselves affectionately as God's slaves. Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The words there, serve one another, literally means be a slave to one another. So what do we do with that? Okay, that's the question. What do we do with the fact that, yes, we are free because of Christ, and yet he's calling us a slave at the same time? Well, according to Matthew, and according to Jesus' words in Matthew 6.24, you can't help but to be a slave, right? The question isn't whether or not you are a slave. The question is, who are you a slave to? And he, and he doesn't offer a neutral ground where you can kind of be a slave to this and kind of be a slave to this. No, he says, no, you're either a slave to God or you're a slave to something else. We can't help but to serve or worship or invest ourselves in something or someone. Our affections have to go somewhere, and it's either with God or it's not. And every day is a decision to whom we will serve, right? Will we be mastered by a fight for security and survival? Will we be mastered by a longing for more comfort? Will we be mastered by the allure of having more stuff? Will we sell out the master who sold everything for us? Will we sell him out? We so often uh, give our lives over to inanimate objects that change and they're finite. They go away. And Jesus is calling us to the mat through our wallets to ask the question, will you serve the finite, temporary, and breakable, the thing that can be lost and taken away, or the never-changing, eternally loving, all-powerful, relentlessly generous God who invested in you first. And if it is God, man, he can change some things. God will change us to not love money, but actually hate the love of money. And not hate money, but hate the, the thing that it can do to you if you start to be subservient to it. And all of a sudden, you start to recognize that the, what I have is not mine to possess, but mine to give away. You'll recognize that it's not even your money to begin with, but it's actually God's money that he's given to you to manage and steward for his goodness and for his glory, his kingdom. You see, money will become not a burden to be gained or lost, but a commodity to be invested to find those who are lost. I'm going to say it again. If our master is God, money will become not a burden to be gained or lost, but a commodity to be invested in those who are lost. So the plea of Jesus here is is to ask you to to look, to, to evaluate, find where your treasure is so that you can find where your heart is. And once you find that, you, you, you will find also what you're actively pursuing and what you're being mastered by. And he's saying, man, turn it all over. Turn it all over to Jesus, who, who was not mastered by the world, but gave his entire life for us. Because our sin causes us to be mastered by the world, but he gave his life so that we can be mastered by God, who is a loving, beautiful, gracious God, who, yes, he might call us a slave, but not in the way that we think. Now, now, it's important after we hear all of that that I address things in a practical way, right? So it's like, okay, Mo, what do I do with all of that? Like, I get it. So I'm going to give you some next steps. Now, I want to answer the question, though, what does it look like to invest our treasure? And I'm going to break my rule because I don't like steps, okay? I'm going to give you steps anyway. I'm going to give you four of them. And listen to me. This isn't how you get better, by the way. These are not steps to a better life, steps to a better marriage, better finances, all that. No, no. This is steps toward pursuing 
loving, responding to Jesus more in your life, okay? So the first step is pray. Pray. We've established already that Jesus is talking to his disciples, which includes us. We're disciples of Jesus if we call Jesus our Savior, if, if we believe that he's been crucified for our sin, dead and buried and raised from the grave, which means all of us are called to give. Every one of us, all followers of Jesus are called to give. So the first step in all of that is to ask Jesus to grow our affections for him and show us how marvelous his grace is. So the first step Pray that he would grow your affections for him and see his grace more clearly, okay? Second step, pray, right? Like, pray again, okay? Go to the Lord. After he's shown you, uh, given you more affection for him, after he's shown you his beautiful grace, ask him what the uh, proper response with my finances will be. How much should I give? What's the amount? Now, now catch this. This is not a begrudging thing. This isn't a thing, okay, I need to go ahead and do this so I get God off my back. This is a good, a beautiful, gracious thing that God would allow us to do to say, okay, I see your grace, uh, my affections are to you, and now I get to respond, not for your grace, but from your grace, amen? So the second one is pray for an appropriate response, an amount for appropriate response. The third one is give. See, once you've established an amount that Jesus would have you invest, well, God would call you to go ahead and sacrificially and joyfully give that. There's three ways we do that. Giving box in the back, our website, citylightlincoln.org, and then we have an app, City Light Lincoln Church. Anyway, now at this point, there's usually a question, right? Does it matter where I give? Okay? And I'm going to tell you simply, yes, it does matter. Okay? And it does matter where you invest because the whole point in this investment is to invest in the mission of God. The mission of God going for other people knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so if you look in the scripture, God's primary means by reaching people is through the local church. Primarily. As Galatians 6, 6 says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So therefore, our primary investment and the majority of our investment toward God's kingdom is toward his local church. Okay? Now, does that mean that you should not help like support our staff members who raise support for some of their finances or support missionaries? No, of course not. No, it definitely does not mean that at all. Yes, please support missionaries. Please support some of our staff who raise support for their, their finances. However, the expectation from what I can see in Scripture is that our primary investment ought to go to the local body that we serve. Now, if you're new here and this ain't your church, I'm not talking to you, okay? Invest in your local church, like some of y'all here from out of town or whatever that might be. I'm not talking about invest in your local body, which is God's primary mission to the world is this local church. Amen? All right, fourth one. Pray. Pray that God would use the investment that you made mightily. Pray that he would use it for the lives of the individuals who will come to know Jesus. Pray that he would use it in our city, in our state, in our country, in our world. That he would take what little we have really to offer and exponentially make that an eternal invest, investment in somebody else. See, I don't know if you noticed this, but three out of those four are completely and utterly dependent on God. They're completely and utterly seeking God for his wisdom and then depending on him to actually see it through in, in, in the first place. Because just like everything miraculous that has ever happened in City Light Church and in your heart, it starts and ends with Jesus. So that's where we got to start. Like I said, this isn't a giving message. It's a message to check where our heart is and, and, and really honestly draw our affections toward Jesus Christ himself. Amen?
Let's pray.